you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, Genesis 2, 15 through 25. Before we look at the Christian household and the role distinctions that our God has given us as his people in our Lord Jesus Christ, as it relates to, uh, again, what roles he would have us to play as husbands, as wives, and children, I thought it was wise to step back from Colossians this morning and over the next two Lord's Days, maybe more, depending on how far we get this morning, and reflect on what God's design, what God's Word reveals to us about human sexuality, particularly as it relates to male and female and the way that He made them in His own image. You see, we must get our bearings straight before we rush to our duties and roles. In many ways, this sermon this morning is going to be more didactic in nature than uh, exhortive. In that sense, I think we really need to understand and come to grips with what does God say about male and female as he created them in his own image. There's no place better to do that than in Genesis. As the saying goes, all good theology begins in Genesis. And the longer I stand behind this pulpit, I doubt there are more important chapters in the Word of God than Genesis 1 two, and three, full of the freight of the living God. We better understand what Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are all about. You see, saints, it's in Genesis 1 and 2, particularly this morning, where we find God's blueprint, that is, His Word, His special revelation regarding what He has designed in male and female. And not only his word, but his design. As we look at general revelation, that is nature. What does nature, God's other book, tell us about male and female? And what we are to understand regarding human sexuality and marriage. As I stand before you this morning, in some ways, I'm like the psalmist whose eyes are full of tears because the Lord's law is not kept... In the land. I don't want to be political. I'm not a political man. I want to be a word gospel man. But it is sad, is it not, that man in his folly, created in the bliss and joy of the triune God, had become fools, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Serving and worshiping the creation rather than the creator who's forever blessed. And as our little ones sit beside us, in front of us, and behind us, this morning we think, what type of world is this generation leaving the next? Surely it shouldn't make us lament and our eyes fill with tears because God's law is not kept. You see, our unbelieving secular culture has declared war on God and His design for male and female relationships. 
As a result, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, pansexual androgyny, right, when we don't know what I am. And an ever-expanding list of other sexual perversions have become normative in the culture. All the lines of differentiation and distinction are being discarded, again, exchanging the truth for a lie, and God gave them over. He gave them over. All the while, biblically faithful believers are viewed as mentally ill, resistors of the new liberation of man from the evil restraints of Christian dogma and morality. The ultimate sin today in our culture is to fit the two genders into past or biblical concepts of human sexuality. That's the ultimate sin. We are told today that sexual fluidity and personal autonomy trump biology. In godlike fashion, we get to declare what is. I'm God. I can speak it. Thus it is. So we think. We are told today that sexual fluidity again... In personal autonomy, Trump biology, there is no specific meaning of manhood and womanhood, and thus no structure of what it means to be a man or be a woman. And such as it is, hence the proposals to draft our daughters. It's being contemplated in our nation's capital for military combat. To take the the weaker sex as the Word of God defines it, the fairer sex. And we'll unpack that a little bit this morning, what that means and what it doesn't mean. And put an M16 in their hand and tell them to go and fight the nation's battles. We have become fools. Today we are told you just choose what you want to be. And you experiment until you're happy. In doing this, you are expressing your authentic self, having become truly liberated. Liberated from the Creator. As it plays out in Psalm 2, they shake their fist at God. Who is God that I should obey Him? Who is His Son that I must kneel and confess Him? Saints, as Christians, we have something better, so much better in God's Word. We have a blueprint, a a roadmap for a way forward in understanding male and female in the image of God. We have the truth. Not a truth. We have the truth. There is no such thing as a truth. Truth is that which corresponds to reality as God defines it. If we're going to go forward in understanding the complementary relationships between men and women, we must begin by going back to Genesis and looking afresh at God's purpose and will for His image bearers in the beginning. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all Scripture, all Scripture, not some of it, not just the words in red in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped and complete for every good work. So this morning we're going to look just at these two passages. We're going to look very quickly at them, Lord willing. Genesis 1, 26-31, and Genesis 2, 15-25. Let me lead us in prayer, and then I will read God's Word. Our Lord and our God, we are a wicked people. We have gone astray like sheep, each one to his own way. We are fools. We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. But God, you are rich in mercy to your people. And we even who have been cleansed and washed and justified in Jesus Christ can fall prey to the lies that surround us. We would pray and ask that the clarity of your word would be crystal this day. That we might feed on the manna that you have prepared us to hear from Genesis 1 and 2, that we might understand what it means to be male and female, that you made man in your own image, in your own image, male and female, you made them. Help us to understand your truth. May I decrease and may you increase, Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in his holy word. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Genesis 1, 26 through 31, we pick up on the sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 2, we'll pick up chapter 2, verse 15. When the father brings his son Adam, his bride. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall, or you may, surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused... The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made or built into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thus far the reading of God's holy and fallible word. May he add his eternal blessing to it. Let me begin by saying just a few men who have helped me think through this. I have not arrived in my thinking completely, by no means. I am not fully sanctified. I don't know as I ought yet. I see dimly. But I've been helped by a gentleman by the name of Alistair Roberts, Jim Neuheiser, and also Reverend Kevin DeYoung in thinking through some of these issues this morning. So what I'd like to do is give you nine observations or nine things that I observe from the text of God's holy word that might be helpful to us as we think about human sexuality as man made in God's image, male and female, he made them. In Genesis 1.31, we hear God's benediction over the creation. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. (laughs) Can you imagine how glorious it must have been? When the beautiful one, the holy one of Israel, God himself, the triune God, pronounces his benediction over all that he's made. And yet we're told in Genesis 2, as it zooms into the creation account, that there is one thing in creation that was not good. Verse 18 of chapter 2, and the Lord God said, it was not good that man should be alone. You see, beloved, in everything in creation had its counterpart. The day had the sun, the night had the moon, the fish had the waters, the sky, the birds, the ground, the beast of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper, no corresponding other was found fit for Adam. But after a little surgery and a removal of a rib from Adam, God built Eve and he brought her to the man. And this was all, according to God's word, very good. Again, nine observations. Again, it's not exhaustive. How men and women are equal but different and how they were made each for the other. The first observation, 
this morning. The man and the woman were both created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Singular. Did you notice that? Male and female, he created what? Them, plural. Man and woman, both, are made in the image of God. The word image here means something cut from an object. Something cut from an object. It's, it's like taking a piece of clay from, from the mold, from a sculpture, and fashioning it. As image bearers, the man and the woman are like little statues, as it were, placed in creation to bear witness to God's dominion and glory as his royal children and representatives. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter also reminds us not only are men and women made in the very image of God as icons of God's image in creation, they are also in Christ co-heirs. In eternal life, they're co-heirs. Matt mentioned it this morning in his prayer. You see, both the man and the woman possess equal value and dignity. Eve was not a lesser creature than Adam. All maleness, while different, is not of a higher order than femaleness. Both male and female are same in being, equal in essence. And for those of us who are philosophically bent, there is no ontological patriarchy. That's an error that's being taught widely in some evangelical circles today. While equal, men and women are created to fulfill different roles. Both are made to represent God in the world. Different in design, but not in status, not in essence. He created him. He created them in his own image. Second, the man and women were to rule over the creation, but given different roles and tasks. Genesis 1.28, look in God's holy word. Don't take my word for it, church. You measure everything I say by the word of God. 1.28, and God blessed them, plural. And God said to them, plural. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Friends, as our Westminster Shorter Catechism question number 10 states, God created man, male and female, after his own image and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. But here in Genesis 1, we see that the image of God is primarily focused upon the execution of the dominion mandate given to both Adam and Eve. It's not so much a philosophical, metaphysical description, but more of a functional description of what the image of God is in his vice regents, the prince and the princess, the king and the queen of creation, the crown that God made when he made man. And woman in his own image. 
You see, they're given the the mandate, the commission, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all things. You see, saints, the maleness of Adam and the femaleness of Eve were integral to filling and fulfilling God's mandate. Adam was not going to accomplish this by himself, nor could he. God couldn't have given him another Adam. Anatomically, physiologically, there's no way Adam can fulfill the mandate, the commission. It was only as male and female with complementary bodies, uniquely designed by God to literally, literally, church, fit together. I was going to go to Lowe's. I told my wife this week, maybe I need to go to Lowe's. Got a nut and a boldness, hold it before you. They only work together in complementary fashion. You can't have the two bolts nor two nuts. You need the bolt and the nut. Literally together, fit together as one, that they could fulfill the commission to, fulfill, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, subdue it. Listen to Alistair Roberts. The gender differentiation between male and female is not surprising when we consider that the task that lie at the heart of mankind's vocation, although both sexes participate in both tasks of the vocation, that is exercising dominion and being fruitful, are not tasks that equally play to male and female capabilities, but rather are tasks where sexual differentiation is particularly pronounced. Friends, we know this. Our respective design as men and women bears witness to this reality. Empirically, we know. We know there's a difference. Intuitively, it's written on our hearts as creatures made in His image. Men, generally speaking, are stronger than women. But women are the fair sex, according to the Word of God. Moses goes on in chapter 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This word, these two words, work and keep, are the same words used to describe the Levites who were in charge of working and keeping the tabernacle of God. Saints, the Holy Spirit wants us to see and understand that under the protection of Adam working and keeping the garden, Eve would flourish. She would thrive. She would reach her potential as one created in the image of God. Again, Alistair Roberts. Eve was created inside the garden. Did you notice that? Adam is created outside of the garden and brought into the garden. Eve is created inside the garden. And therefore, has a special relationship to the inner world of the garden. You see, by nature, she's a nurturer. She keeps the nest. Right? Her family is paramount to her. When a little boy bruises his knee or scrapes his knee, he doesn't run to dad. 
Where does he run? He runs to mom because she's the nurturer. Right? She cares. She, she bends down to minister to the child. Right? With that green spray, kids, remember? We hate that. Right? Oh, this is going to make it better? But no, not the green spray. I love that. My kids used to hate that green spray. Benactin, I think it's what it's called. I think Jeff would correct me if I'm wrong. But Adam, created outside the garden, was charged with cultivating it and protecting it. He's full of strength. He's physiologically built different than Eve. At 3 o'clock in the morning, when I hear the noise at the front door, somebody's breaking in, Catherine, can you get that? No, that's not what we do. No one does that. They don't do that here. They don't do it in sub-Saharan Africa. They don't do it in Europe. They don't do it in China. They don't do it anywhere in the globe. The man goes, and he defends and protects because that's what's in the software of the way God has made him, to be strong, to be a leader, to be a servant, to lay down his life for his wife, to love her, as Christ loved his bride and gave himself up freely for her, for the joy he possessed, for the joy that was set before him. He went outside the camp to secure you, his bride's salvation. Who is a God like this God? And he's made man in his own image and women. Kevin DeYoung says this, picking up on some of these themes that I've alluded to. The creation mandate applies to both sexes, but asymmetrically. That's a big fancy word. What does Dr. DeYoung mean? What does he mean? He's saying they're equal, but there's difference. Adam was endowed with greater biological strength and is specially fitted for tilling the soil and taming the garden. Eve, on the other hand, possesses within her the capacity to cultivate new life. Fitted for filling the earth and tending to the communal aspects of the garden. That makes perfect sense. That resonates, doesn't it? That's exactly what happens. Third, the third observation. Adam alone was given the task of protecting the garden. In Genesis 2.15, Adam alone is given the priestly task of guarding and protecting the garden and keeping it. He is also told directly, not indirectly like Eve, but Adam is told directly that he is free to eat of any tree in the garden except there's one tree, Adam, that you may not eat of. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In working and keeping the garden, Adam was responsible for keeping God's commands and guarding God's moral boundaries. And next week, when we get to chapter 3, God willing, where's Adam when the serpent invades the garden? Is he guarding? Is he protecting? Is he fulfilling his calling as a man? It was to Adam 
who will be particularly responsible for the fall. Now, it's true, Eve was deceived. But did you notice, and you will notice this next week, in chapter 3, verses 11 and verse 17, God comes into the garden in the cool of the day, and who does he address? Eve, where are you? No, that's not what he says. Adam, where are you? He addresses Adam in particular regarding the law concerning the tree that he was forbidden to eat of. Fourthly, Adam was created before Eve. You're thinking, well, obviously, Pastor Bullock, that's, you're always one to state the obvious, right? But I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul picks up on this reality that Adam was created first. He picks up on this in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where he grounds the prohibition against women exercising authority and teaching men in the church. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 12-13. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? This is, this is key. What does Paul say? This is the because for Adam was formed first, then Eve. The point Paul is making here is not that first equals best. That's not what Paul is advocating here. Because weren't lions and tigers and bears created before Adam? Yes, they were, chronologically speaking. So first does not equal best. But rather that order matters because it indicates that Adam's position in creation is as a priest and protector of Eve, the very thing he abdicated in chapter 3. He's to protect her. He's to defend her. He's to love her. He's to cherish her. And yet he failed. Fifth, Eve was given as a helper to Adam. Eve was given as a helper to Adam. Moses tells us that Eve was created from man. While being equal in worth, she was for the man. Literally, as a helper who corresponded to him. She was the lock, he was the key. Right? She corresponded to him. Remember now, she's equal, but different in function and different in role. We're told in chapter 2.18 that while all of creation rested under the benediction and blessing of God, there was one thing that was not good, and that was that Adam was alone. He needed a helper, a corresponding to, if you will. Eve is going to be a helper, one who corresponds and fits him and, and helps him and helps him fulfill the calling that God has given him. Now remember, this is the blueprint. You might not like the blueprint, <laughs> You might wish there's another blueprint. But this is God's blueprint. Now, it would be a mistake to understand the word helper is any, in any way less than Adam in worth or status. Moses in 18.4 of Exodus calls God. What does he call God? In Hebrew, the very same word. God is a helper of his people. He's an easer. He's the very thing that he calls Eve to be, a helper. 
And here in Genesis 2.18, the, the term is functional, right? Well, what kind of helper was Eve to be? One of the things we tend to do and understand about Adam's predicament and aloneness is to think of it purely in psychological terms. That's wrong. Well, yes and no. Let's, let's nuance that just a smidgen. All right, well, he's alone. He needs a friend. He needs a companion. He needs a soulmate. Yes. But there's more. Calvin says, Eve was God's gift to Adam to assist him to live well. But I also want to remind us of the broader context here in Genesis 2. We're told that after naming the animals, right, and then naming something, what are you doing when you name something? You're exercising what? Authority. Here's the crown of creation, God's prince, the vice regent to rule over all he's made, naming, exercising authority, imitating his father, his God. We're told that there was not found a helper fit for Adam. Adam had been given the creation mandate, and there was no way he was going to be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth by himself. Eve was perfectly fitted for Adam to do so. Without Eve, Adam could not fulfill his calling. Sixthly, Adam was given the task of naming. I've spoken of this briefly. Let me be quick. Adam was exercising dominion in his exalted place and authority in creation, imitating his creator. Notice also that Adam names the woman. Did you notice that? He's exercising his role as authority, right? As leader. Two times he names the woman. In 2.23, according to her nature, Adam says she shall be called woman. In Hebrew, it's Isha. Isha. I-S-H-A-H. Because she was taken out of man, Ish. Isha was taken out of Ish. And once again in chapter 3, verse 20, giving the woman her personal name, name her Eve, Adam says, because she was the mother of all living, both times exercising authority and leadership in the family. You see, men are created to lead. Now what that looks like in each particular case, that's where we can talk in general terms and make some principles. But at a bare minimum, it means to be out front, to lead, to, to step into the vacuum of leadership, to lead. And the ironic thing is, husbands, I don't want to get too far afield from my notes here. You are a leader regardless. Do you know that? You're the head of your home. The only question that's up for negotiation it's not that status that God has declared you to be, but rather what kind of head will you be? What kind of leader will you be? Will you abdicate your leadership? Beloved, as we work through Genesis 1 and 2, we need to see that men and women are irreversibly connected and complementary in design. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11. 11 through 12. In the Lord, the woman is not independent of man, nor man of the woman. For as, man, as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Seventhly, 
Adam was formed from the dust of the ground. Eve was built from the rib of Adam. And they're two different Hebrew words. Formed and built. Adam, he's made from dirt. Dust of the ground, right? In Genesis 1, we're given a 30,000-foot description of the creation account. In Genesis 2, we're right at ground level. We see that God created man, male and female, uniquely. Notice that Adam was formed, but Eve was built. Chapter 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Like a potter shaping a piece of clay, he made Adam. Eve, on the other hand, according to chapter 2, 22, was created from the flesh and bone of Adam's side while he was in a deep sleep. God literally built and fashioned the woman from the rib. Kevin DeYoung says, it's not surprising then, now listen to this, that the man is tasked with tending and cultivating the ground from which he came, and the woman is tasked with helping the man from which she came. You see it? You see how the cultivator, the one who leads, is out front, and how she comes alongside and completes him? This reunification that happens in marriage as the two become one, right? When Levi and Jess were married, it was beautiful. Boom. One. The rib is restored. The helper, the corresponding one, is now home. Beautiful. It's not only intellectually stimulating and engaging, but it's beautiful. It's aesthetically glorious. Isn't it? Isn't holiness beautiful? So attractive. Not just so intellectually satisfying, yes, but it's beautiful. You see, Adam is to leave, and Eve is built to help him do it. Eighth, in marriage, the man leaves his family and holds fast to his wife as bone of Adam's bone and flesh of his flesh. Having been taken out of him. Verse 24 of chapter 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Everything we've seen thus far, right? In God's word, we would expect that it would be the woman who would leave. Her family. Right? Adam's created first. He's the protector. He's the namer. He's the leader. Surely the helper leaves her family to join her husband. But that's not what we see. No, the man leaves his family and cleaves to his wife. And you know what? As a pastor of 20 years now, I see this phenomenally in the way it works. The man often leaves his family and he cleaves to his wife. And in some ways there's more sympathy or more relational components to the wife and her family. That's what we see. Kevin DeYoung says this. This is helpful. The man leaving his family and cleaving to his wife makes sense when we realize that sexual differentiation is not about first place but about natural order and design. The inner world of the garden radiating out from the family is shaped by the help and nurture of the woman. Emotional intimacy and communion will be fostered in a unique way, not by the man, but by the woman. 
God here is telling us something significant about the way relational bonds are typically formed and maintained through whom? A woman. She's more relational. She's more nurturing. By and large, generally speaking. She's not as strong, generally speaking. Now, are there women stronger than me? Well, yeah, I'm sure there are. Can Katie Dildecki outswim me? Yeah, she can. Are there spinners who can outrun me? Yeah, they are. But generally speaking, right, phenomenally what we observe in the creation, men are stronger. Although, let's remember now, and just ad hominemly like, let me just say this. My wife has given birth to five kids. She's pretty strong. Hulking boys, too. My Justin, who's sitting over there, he was nine, ten and a half pounds. She's rocking 105. Tops. That's a big boy from such a small woman. So let's be careful with that. Well, they are the, the weaker, the, the fairer sex. The lovely sex. The glory of man, as man is the glory of whom? God, Paul says. I don't like that. Take it up with God. That's what God's Word says. All of it's inspired. All of it's given. We can't just take the parts we like. Oh, I like Jesus and the blood and the cross, and I love it. I love to preach that old, old story. I've got to take everything, all of it, because all of it's breathed out by the triune God through His Holy Spirit. And all of it's authoritative. Ninthly, and you're thinking, wow, Pastor. Finally. Ninth, the ninth observation. Eve came from the flesh of Adam in marriage, and they are reunited in one flesh. Again, the two become one. Diversity in unity. Where have we heard that before? I'll leave it there. Diversity in unity. Hmm. Marriage is about the reunion of the complementary pair. Calvin says this, and this is beautiful. Calvin understood the beauty of holiness. Right? We think of Calvin, some erudite man and some cerebral brain on a stick. He's not. I hope you're learning that from Mr. Baker Ring, Pastor Baker Ring. I know you are, because I, Cal- I know Levi. Listen to what Calvin says. Something was taken from Adam in order that he might embrace with greater care part of himself. In being gifted Eve, he obtained a faithful associate for life. For he now saw himself, who had been imperfect, rendered complete in his wife. I love John Calvin because he gets it. He understands the beauty and the holiness of God. We close with the words from Genesis, from the Lord Jesus in Matthew 19. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Husband and wife, inseparably joined, yet you stink all to the glory of the triune God. Beloved men and women, they are equal but different physically, emotionally, physiologically, anatomically, right? And relationally. This is clear from nature. And how men and women are constituted. And it's also crystal clear from the word of the living God. 
It's not ambiguous, is it? I hope I have not been ambiguous this morning. You see, the one thing we must never forget is that while men and women are truly different, the difference is not about difference from each other, but difference for each other. That's the key. So ends Genesis 2. Paradise. Everything's perfect. Well, next week, God willing, we'll go to Genesis 3. And we'll look at biblical sexuality, male and female, in his image, east of Eden. How has sin, the cancer of sin, metastasized, distorted and twisted the beauty of the Lord in human sexuality as it's seen in both Adam and Eve? Church, we need to stand in the gap. We're called to be witnesses. If we love our neighbor, we must speak the truth in whatever facility, whatever way that you can. You stand for the truth. You speak it when given the opportunity to speak it. It's not being political. It's called loving your neighbor and being a witness to the reality of the triune God. If you're here this morning and you think, well, somehow that's just on the periphery. We need to get busy about the gospel, beloved. This is at the foundation. (laughs) The house cannot stand if we don't get this right. The church is to be the pillar of truth. We must preach the truth with clarity and conviction and power. Yes, in weakness, that his glory might be clearly seen, but we must speak. We cannot keep silent, for he has spoken. Nick, you got that, brother? You speak it in Powhatan. Levi, you speak it in Richmond. Dennis Bullock, you play the man in this pulpit, and you speak it. Let God be true and every man a liar. Because you know what he is, and we all are. But there was one who knew not sin, who became sin for us. Jesus Christ, the perfect man, born of the woman, right? There was no biological father. It was Mary. He shared her substance ontologically, the same essence. Her DNA was in this one from Nazareth who bore the curse for you, who lived for you, who was buried for you, who was raised for you to bring you into the new creation that we read about in Revelation. That's coming. Let us be faithful till we get there. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your truth. We pray that our hearts would continue to break because your law is not kept in the land. That we would love our neighbor enough to speak the truth. That we would not allow our neighbors and our family and our extended family to go in silence to hell. But we would speak the truth. We would speak it clearly from your word and appeal to your word in general revelation have you revealed through design through the way that you've made male and female in your own image may we be found faithful we pray this in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen